chapter 9. We're going to start in Hebrews 9. We'll go Hebrews 9, 10, and a little bit in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. And it'll be a few moments before we get there. So the holiday season is here. Some people say this is the best time of year. We have two of our biggest holidays back-to-back. We have Thanksgiving coming up, and then we have Christmas. So it's an exciting time. So what I've been doing the last few weeks during the sermon portion of our worship service is focusing on a different word that centers around the holiday time. And what we're looking at is maybe a biblical stance on this word and maybe what this word means to us as followers of Jesus. So one of the things that you'll hear, and you probably have already started to hear this, but that's happy holidays. So a few weeks ago we looked at that word happiness. Last week we looked at the word home. Because you'll hear over and over, let's go home for the holidays, or someone is coming home for the holidays. And without a doubt, when you get together with your family or friends during this time, when you visit someone or someone visits you, at some point during the conversation, somebody is going to say, remember that time? Do you remember when uncle so-and-so did this or someone did that? And over and over, we're going to take a trip down memory lane. I can promise you every family unit that you are connected with, everybody in this room at some point is going to hear some memory or think of a memory or hear an old story. As I was studying for this sermon, one writer said that there are four things that all human beings have to deal with. One of those is growing old. Another one is paying taxes. The third one is death. And the fourth one is memories. So that every human who's ever been created, has memories, has the capacity to remember because God has created us that way. So as you take a trip down memory lane, maybe we'll do a little bit of that this morning, but as you do that during the holiday time, uh, one of the things that you might notice that I definitely notice is how stories evolve through time. Have you ever noticed that? How details change. Uh, how stories get embellished and details are exaggerated. Uh, And through time, I'm sitting there listening to someone tell a story, and I like to think of myself as someone who has a a pretty good memory. Uh, At least I think I do. Maybe other people don't think I do, but when people are telling stories and I'm thinking, I was there for that, and that's not how it happened, you're just exaggerating it. (laughs) So when I tell stories as a preacher, I try, to the best of my memory, to be accurate with how the story actually happened. So as I was taking my own trip down memory lane, I thought about uh, around nine or ten years ago, I was serving as a youth minister, and we used to do these things that I think should be illegal, but they were called lock-ins. If anybody's ever been to a lock-in, you stay up, intentionally stay up all night long and lose a night of sleep. So we took our youth group and several other youth groups to Texas A&M Commerce at their rec center, and we stayed up all night. And that involves a lot of basketball. See, I'm not very good at basketball, but I like to play it. It's fun. I can hustle. I can try to make up for the lack of skill. And there's always big games going on, sometimes smaller tournaments. And one year in particular, almost a decade ago, I remember this vividly because it was a turning point in my life. Uh, I, I was challenged, or maybe I challenged her, but there was a high school student uh, who I wound up playing one-on-one basketball with. So I thought, all right, I'll go easy on her at first, but I'm going to beat her. And then really quickly, it was one to nothing, two to nothing, three to nothing. And then I thought, okay, I'm trying as hard as I can here, and she is destroying me. (laughs) 
And other people were watching this, and before it was all said and done, I had lost the game 10 to 0. Uh, it was a turning point in my life because I did try as hard as I could, and I realized maybe this isn't for me, and then I wound up getting into preaching, so that was a big step for me. But that girl's name was Amber Langhoff, who is actually Amber Cox, and we welcome Amber and Cade Cox this morning. Uh, and so we'll, we'll say something else about Amber and Cade after the, the sermon this morning, but just know this, don't challenge Amber to a game of one-on-one basketball, because she will, she will embarrass you. Uh, we welcome, guys. We're glad to have you all. Uh, as I think about memories, and maybe you can do the same thing, try to be honest, honest with yourself, honest about what actually happened. I think about the Bible, and throughout the Bible, God establishes different memorials with his people, with the Israelites. He does this on purpose, because God wants us to remember key moments in our faith story. As you open your Bibles, the first book that you come to in the Old Testament is the book of Genesis. And you see very quickly into that story that God sends a flood. And only Noah and his family are saved. God destroys the earth in a way. But he makes a covenant with humanity that he will never do that again. And there's going to be a sign, there's going to be a memorial reminding humanity of that covenant. You remember what that is? It's the rainbow. So that rainbow serves as a memorial of what happened and the covenant that God makes. And then you move on to the next book in the Old Testament. You're in the book of Exodus. God's people, the Israelites, are slaves in Egypt. God works in powerful ways, brings them out of the slavery, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness, safe from Pharaoh's army. And then God tells them in Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, and Exodus chapter 13, verse 9, to celebrate what became known as the Passover festival. A festival that for years, for centuries, the Jewish people would celebrate every year around springtime. They would feast. They would all head towards Jerusalem. And they would have this feast and they would offer their sacrifices. And this was served as a yearly reminder of what God did for the Israelites in bringing them out of Egypt. And then you move on to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. And God is getting ready to take them from the time in the wilderness into the promised land. And now Joshua is leading them. And they cross the Jordan. And they get 12 stones that they lay out, that God tells them to lay out. And twice in Joshua chapter 4, he says that someday your children will ask, what's the point of the stones? And that's your cue, that's your opportunity to remind them of how God worked, a key moment in the faith story, because children like to ask questions. So that's an opportunity to share this story and to pass it down, this memory from generation to generation. So God sets up these monuments or memorials as an opportunity for his people to remember, because remembering certain things is important. What we did just a few moments ago when we took communion, we call it the Lord's Supper, Jesus, at the end of the gospel story, he takes the Passover meal that for centuries they celebrated, 
And he takes the bread and he takes the cup and he says, from now on, this is now a memorial about me, about the cross, about the body and the blood. So he takes the Passover feast and now is a continuous weekly memorial reminding us of why we're here. Reminding us of the salvation that we have received. You see, in the Old Testament, the old way, the old system was to offer animal sacrifices. And during that Passover time, when people would travel to Jerusalem, come to that temple, buy an animal, the high priest would sacrifice that animal in the temple, and then your sins are forgiven, or at least for a year or so. But there was something about that that was just incomplete, that just didn't work. And in Hebrews chapter 9, which is where we're going to kickstart this morning, in verse 9, the Hebrew writer says this, about the old covenant, about the old sacrificial system, this is a symbol of the present time, during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Or, some of your versions may say, it cannot clear the conscience of the worshiper. So what the Hebrew writer is telling us, is that the old way, the old law, it can wipe away sins temporarily maybe, but your conscience is still not clear. It's not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. So he continues in verse 10, says, But they deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time comes to set things right. And then he begins talking about Jesus, who the Hebrew writer refers to Jesus as the great high priest. It says in verse 11, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls with the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer sanctifies those who have been defiled So that the flesh is purified, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God? So, what the Hebrew writer says that the sacrifice of Jesus accomplishes, which is many things, one of the things that it accomplishes is. Jesus is able to actually clear our conscience. So if you're going by points this morning, the first highlight this morning is that there are some memories that we need to be released from. There are some memories that we have that haunt us. I'm sure we're all in a place, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, where maybe we've said something or hurt someone or offended someone in a way where maybe they've forgiven us, but we just have trouble forgiving ourselves. Maybe there's memories that you live with that stay with you, something you've done in the past, and your conscience isn't clear. You know, maybe this is an opportunity this holiday season to go to someone and to ask for forgiveness, or to go to someone and make amends with them to be released from certain memories that just stay with us. Over 200 years ago, the United States created the U.S. Conscience Fund. Ever heard of this? 
This is an opportunity. If you feel like you have cheated the government in any way, you can anonymously donate to the U.S. Conscious Fund and feel better about yourself. So for over 200 years, they've collected money and also notes that people have written telling why they're donating money. So for example, February 6, 1974, someone sent $10 with this letter. I am sending $10 for blankets I stole while in World War II. My mind could not rest. Sorry I'm late. And he signed it an XGI. And then he wrote, P.S., I want to be ready to meet God. So he felt like, maybe this is a good guy, you know, just a few blankets, $10 worth, and he's thinking, I can't live with myself until I pay back that $10. So he cleared his conscience. One lady sent nine cents. And she said that she had reused a three-cent stamp twice. (laughs) So she wanted to pay that off, pay that debt off. Another person sent $1,000. And he said that he had cheated on his taxes. And then he wrote, if I still can't sleep tonight, I'll send the rest. (laughs) Do the minimum you can to clear your conscience. And if that doesn't work, then we'll do some more. But one of the, the, key, the key elements of why the Hebrew writer is even writing this letter is he's writing to Judaic Christians and telling them that Jesus has paid it for you. That what the blood of, of goats and bulls could not accomplish, Jesus does by being the unblemished sacrifice on the cross. And through that, he is able to clear the conscience So this might be a good reminder that during this time, when you take trips down memory lane or you see people you haven't seen in a while or you travel home and you run into somebody at Walmart you weren't expecting to run into, that there's some memories that linger on and affect you, maybe in subtle ways that you don't even realize, and it may be time to just be released from some of those memories. And the hardest thing to do might just be to forgive yourself. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. This was our scripture reading this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 and following. The writer writes here, recall those earlier days. Remember the earlier days. He's going to ask him to remember two things. Remember the time where you had been enlightened. And remember when you endured hard struggle and sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion for those who were in prison, and you cheerfully accepted the confiscation of your, pro- of your possessions, of your property, knowing that you yourselves possessed something better and more lasting. Do not, therefore, abandon that confidence of yours. It brings a great reward. For you need endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And then he quotes and he says, In a very little while, the one who is coming will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. My soul takes no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back. We are not among those who shrink back and are lost, but among those who have faith and are saved. He's writing to a group of Christians who grew up as Jews who grew up traveling to the temple every year during Passover and offering those sacrifices. And they're paying a price now for being a Christian. 
Times are getting difficult, so the temptation is to just say, I'm not a Christian, I'm just a Jew, and then they're safe. So he's encouraging them to stay faithful, and one of the ways that he does that is he says, think back, recall, remember the earlier days. Remember when you were enlightened. When I took this job to come here to Pine Tree, uh, I had to clean out my office in Mount Pleasant. And if you, you know this, if you've ever moved or cleaned out an office, you, you start finding things that you haven't seen in a long time. And one of the things that I found, I was tucked away somewhere in my closet in my office, was this old baptismal certificate that I received when I was baptized. So the church I grew up in would give us these certificates And it made me think back to a time when I was 12 years old. I was actually camping at Camp Deeran at the time. And I had this feeling inside of me that I needed to be baptized. I wanted to become a Christian. I wanted to go to heaven. I had all these feelings. This is what I needed to do. So I talked to the right person. They called my parents. My parents showed up and my dad baptized me. And so as I'm reading back over this certificate, that makes me remember, take a little trip down memory lane to that day, to that decision. And I think that's part of what the Hebrew writer is saying here, is remember when you were enlightened. Do you remember your baptism? Do you remember why you became a Christian? Or maybe do you remember influential people in your life who have helped you along the journey to the point where you are today? Do you remember times in your life where God has worked, where God has been there? And do you remember some of the more difficult times of life? And maybe you're in that season of life right now. And that's what he tells them to do in verse 32 and following there as he says, remember when you suffered. Remember the trials. Remember when you had your property taken away from you? or your neighbors did because they were Christians? Or when you were thrown in prison, or you went to visit someone who had been thrown in prison, and you did all that joyfully? Do you remember those difficult times? What he's asking them to do is to remember their scars. Remember the times in life where you were scarred, whether physically or emotionally. We all have scars. You know, I have a scar on my elbow that I forget is there. But if I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt, somebody may see it and say, what happened to your elbow? And then I tell the story of how I had surgery about 10 years ago, which is a reminder for me to take it easy because my body is failing me. So if I push myself too much, my elbow starts hurting. So the scar serves as a reminder for that. I have a scar on my rib right here that I almost forget is there until someone points it out. And that is a reminder of a time when I was in sixth grade. I started having this extreme pain right around here, and it lasted for several months. My parents took me to one doctor after another, and nobody could figure out what was going on. Um, Even one doctor asked me to leave the room at one point and told my parents I was suffering from schoolitis, and there was actually nothing wrong with me. I just didn't want to go to school, and thankfully my parents believed me, and eventually they discovered I had a tumor on my rib. I had the surgery, removed it. It was a painful time in life. I forget about it most of the time until I see the scar, and the scar reminds me of that difficult time. And so he's telling them, remember back to those times when you suffered, when life wasn't easy. And for most of the original audience that he's writing to, they're still going through some of that. 
And he's telling them it's important to remember that. Because I guess our second point this morning would be there's some memories we need to reset us. Some memories root us and establish us in our faith. There are times that we think back to when we were enlightened, when we made the decision to become a Christian, when we faced a trial, and how God worked through that, and that resets us. It's like pressing a reset button to remind us of why we believe, remind us of why we come back every week, and why we keep our faith in Jesus. There are other memories that we have that reset us. Occasionally, and it's not very often, we'll, we'll pop in the DVD of our wedding and show our children. And almost every time, my daughter will comment on how I look a little different back then. And, she, and, the, and she's been watching Peppa Pig, and they say something about Daddy's big tummy, and now they say that to me a lot. And so she's looking back at my old wedding video. So that, that's what happens. when I, I don't want to watch the wedding video because of that. But I like to watch it because it reminds me of the commitment we made to each other. It reminds me of our wedding vows. That we said in front of God and in front of other people, for better or for worse, we're committed to each other. So it's good to be reminded of the commitment that you made or maybe to be reminded when your children were born and you held them and you said, I would do anything for them. It's a reminder to the, of the commitment that you're making to raise that child in the Lord. Some memories that we have... <clears throat> Help reset us and put us back to our roots. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, he's writing to this church, to these Christians, and he's starting to give them his final remarks. And so some of this is just like good ethical advice. And he says in verse 14, pursue peace with everyone. Sounds like something Paul would say in one of his letters. Pursue peace with everyone. And then he says, pursue holiness. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And then in verse 15, he says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And through it, many become defiled. What is this root of bitterness or this bitter root that he's referring to? Okay, what he's referencing comes from the Old Testament, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 16 through 18. And in Deuteronomy chapter 29, the writer there is reminding them of a time when they were in Egypt. And when they were in Egypt, they noticed that the Egyptians worshipped foreign gods and idols. And he's saying, there may be a man or a woman or a family among you who also started to worship those gods and those idols. So be careful that amongst the faith community, there doesn't spring up a poisonous or bitter root. So that's Deuteronomy 29, and now the Hebrew writer takes that quote, that concept, and he says, make sure that there's not a root of bitterness among you, or a bitter root among you. So I think about that when I think about memories. Because there's people... That something might have happened to them 10, 15, 20 years ago. And when someone's name comes up or a particular instant comes up and they think back, they start getting angry all over again. And they just can't let it go. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's me at times. 
That's like being a bitter root. Holding a grudge, holding on to something that you should have let go a long time ago, and it affects you in more ways than you realize. And you become that bitter root that just hangs on to these memories that haunt you, these memories that disturb you, that linger on in your mind, and you can't let go and give them up to God. I know of a family who lost a loved one over 20 years ago now. It was a daughter and a sister, and she was killed. And now, during the holiday season, which I can't imagine what they're going through, they are most definitely not the bitter root. They think back about their daughter, or they think back about their sister with pleasant memories. There's pain there, but there's joy. And the reason that they're not bitter is because about 10 years ago, and this didn't happen overnight, but they made a decision that they're going to travel to the prison and meet the murderers and forgive them. I can't imagine having to do something like that. And they didn't make that decision right away. But when they did, and they went, and they, those murderers didn't ask for forgiveness, but they said, I forgive you. I believe this is what Jesus calls us to do, and so that's what I do. I forgive. And after that time, they still live with the pain, but they're not bitter. They're some of the most joyful people I know, and they've been through some of the toughest trials of any family that I've ever seen. But they're able to follow Jesus in his lead and just say, I forgive. So the third thing is there's some memories we just need to let go of. Now, it doesn't mean we forget people, and it really doesn't even mean we completely forget. It just means we release them. There's some memories we need to be released from, and there's some memories that we need to release to God. We need to just let go, to forgive, to go and to be reconciled to someone. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 In verse 13, he says, I forget what's behind and I press forward to what is ahead. And I don't think what Paul is saying is that he just completely wipes the memory banks clean. But I think what Paul is saying is he doesn't stay in the past. Paul went through a lot, but he he said, I forget what is behind and I press forward to what is ahead. He kept his goal in mind. If you're not happy with the memories that you have... You're still here. You can start making new ones right now. Memories that impact the kingdom of God for the better. Every Sunday when we come here, we remember. We take communion, we study, we sing, and we do this so that we could share one big memory together as a church, a memory of who God is, what the cross means, and why we're here. And we need that. We need to be reminded so that we can, like Paul, press forward to what is ahead. This morning, we're going to offer an invitation. And if you didn't read it in the bulletin and you don't know this already, we have shepherds here that want to connect with you. And they're going to be scattered around the building. Some will be in the back. One will be up front with me. If you need to find a shepherd to pray with them, please take this opportunity to do that. If you need to come up front... If you're ready to become a follower of Jesus, come up front. We'll receive you. Take this opportunity to respond while we stand and sing.